Hello and welcome to another episode of Damn Interesting Week. We are so glad you've decided to join us. My name is Jennifer Lee Noonan. I'm Angela Epley. I'm Wasper Chen. I'm Bradley Calhoun. And this was a damn interesting week. So let's get started with our first link. First link. All right. Nautilus wants to ask, is that really your boss on the phone? Because (laughs) deep fakes are taking old scams to the next level. Um, That's right. Everything old is new again, and we can safely blame AI. Oh, good. So imagine this. Your phone rings. It's your company's president, and the president is requesting you transfer money to a new supplier. What are you going to do? Well, of course, you say, glad she thought of you for the task. But it wasn't your boss calling from the other side of the building, but a scammer half a world away hiding behind an AI-generated replica of her voice. Yeah. And swindlers have been using this kind of high-tech trickery against unwitting individuals for years. Uh, In 2019, the CEO of an energy firm in the UK fell for a deep fake phone call and sent almost a quarter of a million dollars to a scammer. And it's because the UK CEO recognized his boss's slight German accent Mm. and the melody of his voice on the phone. The next year, a Hong Kong bank manager began fulfilling a request he thought was coming from the company's director to transfer $35 million as part of a fabricated merger. Wow. Now, generative AI technology can fairly convincingly mimic someone's voice, which can fool people more than one out of four times. That's according to a new paper. And this is even when people are being told the voice they are hearing might be a deepfake. So they're priming the listener wow. to, hey, be on alert. And for the study in this paper, Kimberly Mai, a machine learning researcher at University College London, and her colleagues had 529 people listen to recordings of voices and just asked them to pick out which were real and which were AI generated. And even when researchers fed participants examples of fake voices before having them do the rest of the survey, they didn't get much better at detecting the fakes. Wow. They would only improve by less than 4%, which is fairly negligible. Mm-hmm. And even spending more time listening to the clips over and over did not help. Mm-mm. And it turns out that people don't take an entirely scientific approach when it comes to assessing the authenticity of a voice. Wait, people don't take scientific approaches to stuff they believe? <laughs> <laughs> That's weird. You know, it boggles the mind, right? <laughs> now, in the study, English speakers said that they tended to spot fakes based on the, quote, naturalness of a voice and breathing. And part of this is because it's substantially different than using vision, right? Like a photo or a video deep fake. In that iteration of trickery, you can, at least for now, count, you know, fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting really, really tough. I don't know if you all have seen MetaHuman by Unreal yeah, Engine, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's I mean... insane. And if it's pixelated enough on a small enough screen. Mm. Yeah, how are you going to yeah, tell? Everything gets compressed, right? Mm-hmm. And as these generative AI technologies become more commonplace and just better overall, For example, Apple has announced a feature called Personal Voice in the next iOS that can replicate a user's voice with about 15 minutes of audio recording. That's all you need. And, you know, detection technology, we're doing our best to race ahead to stay a pace of deep fakes. 
For example, Mai and her colleagues note that current automatic detection performs on average about as reliably as humans. But、oh. researchers and engineers are working to fine tune this application as a sort of biometric authentication. And、mm. this sort of detection aims to check whether the voice belongs to a human or machine, and whether it belongs to the correct human.、Mm-hmm. But That requires a lot of logistics, like screening voices before speaking and comparing the caller's voice to a vast database of voice samples. Hello, privacy issues. Yeah. So,、right. <laughs> Mai's best suggestion for detection lands on old-fashioned common sense. So, if someone's requesting you to transfer a huge sum of money, it's a good idea to double-check, discuss with others, and verify the source. Yeah, well, and you got to just start having passwords with people. Like, honest to God, when this stuff first came out, <laughs> I called both my parents because I was like, "Our voices are out there. They've got way、yeah. more than 15 minutes of all of our voices to play with." So I just literally, as I was talking to my parents, I was like, "Listen, this is a new thing. Y'all don't know about it, but it's out there. And if I ever call you asking for money, first of all, I won't do that. But also, we're going to establish a password." And if I don't tell you the password, it is a lie. Do not listen. Because even if you say to yourself, like, "Oh, I'm not going to fall for it," we all have parents, and our parents are all going to fall for it. And confidence bias is definitely a thing as well. Like, we think we're going to be a lot better at detecting this、mm-hmm. than we actually are.、Yeah. We need to go into this with a little bit of humility, protection, and, like you said, safe words. Yeah, and it's going to be really difficult over the phone too, because phones get grainy. Yeah, you know, even this conversation、mm-hmm. we're having,、uh, you all are digitizing on me. Yeah,、right? for sure. So, is it real voices or am I talking to AI? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I got real tired of working every week, so. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I wasn't designed to respond to this kind of. <laughs> Next link. Next, Next link. link. Now here's something I was trained to do. <laughs> This article comes to us from Reuters. Russia launches lunar lander in race to find water on moon. Ooh. Yeah, interesting, right? So Russia launched its first moon landing spacecraft in 47 years on Friday in a bid to be the first nation to make a soft landing on the lunar south pole, a region believed to hold coveted pockets of water ice. The Russian lunar mission is racing against India, which launched its Chandrayaan three lunar lander last month, and more broadly with the United States and China, both of which have advanced lunar exploration programs targeting the lunar south pole. The moonshot, which Russia has been planning for decades, will also test the nation's growing independence in space after its 2022 February invasion of Ukraine severed nearly all of Moscow's space ties with the West, besides its integral role on the ISS. The European Space Agency had planned to test its Pilot D navigation camera by attaching it to Luna 25, but severed its ties to the project after the invasion. NASA maps in 2018 showed water ice in shadowed parts of the Moon, and in 2020, NASA confirmed water also existed in sunlit areas. Major powers such as the U.S., China, India, Japan, and the European Union have all been probing the Moon in recent years. A Japanese lunar landing failed last year, and an Israeli mission failed in 2019. Maxim Litvak, head of the planning group for the Luna 25 scientific equipment, said the most important task was to land where no one else had landed and to find water. 
He says, with a mass of 1.8 tons and carrying 31 kilos or 68 pounds of scientific equipment, Luna 25 will use a scoop to take rock samples (laughs) from a depth of up to six inches to test for the presence of frozen water, which isn't really very deep at all. No, it's a shovel. Like, (laughs) yeah, Uh, they're just going to like dust the surface a little bit, look for some ice, which which is like a little cute. You know, I mean, this is the precursor to uh, moon colonialism. Right. Mm -hmm. But besides that, it's kind of a nice little image Mm -hmm. (laughs) sweeping for ice but uh personally i am a leave the moon alone believer hmm. um so i disapprove but i know science will not be stopped at any cost so yeah. so if we get more holes in the moon does that just underscore the moon is made of cheese myth mm-hmm. yeah that's something they haven't confirmed yet they can confirm all the water they want but i'm not interested till there's cheese up there yeah i mean where's the water come from that's clearly just the ancient the aliens and ancient aliens they're just <laughs> churning cheese up there <laughs> That is if you believe we went to the moon. Oh, sure. There you go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. My favorite spin on the conspiracy theory is that, and I don't believe this, but yes, we have gone to the moon, but not the first time. That was faked because we needed to beat the Russians. And all the rest of the times, we actually bought ourselves time to figure oh, it out, oh, which I, I think is funny. You know, I like conspiracy theories <laughs> that are cute like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Listen, you, probably not you watch enough for all mankind and you get really back into that Cold War mindset of like, we have mm-hmm. to beat the Russians at everything. And like, it's I don't know, it messes with you. Yeah. I mean, my second favorite wrong conspiracy theory is that dinosaurs were not real. They were initial fakes that the archaeological establishment is now too embarrassed to ever stop <laughs> pretending to be real. We're making and all of I'm, them. <laughs> yeah, they're making all of them. They're literally <laughs> crafting them. Like this thing I read was like, yeah, they have, you know, plaster factories where they're creating all of these bones. They've perfected the technique. And anyways, that's like, it's it's really wild. It goes very deep. Um, but, you know, just like the moon's craters where they keep all that cheese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Brought it back. Okay, next link. <laughs> next link. I will stay in space. This is from Ars Technica. Starliner undergoing three independent investigations as flight slips to 2024. Aww. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, to be fair, that headline sounds much worse than it actually is. I thought I'd share this article because it's about other people other than billionaires going to space. Right. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so Boeing has been working on a reusable spacecraft called Starliner since its unveiling in 2010. And it seemed like they had plans to launch it sometime this year. A Boeing official said last Monday that the company has delayed a crewed flight test of its Starliner spacecraft until at least March 2024. The manager for the company's commercial crew program, Mark Nappy, said the spacecraft should be ready to fly seven months from now. However, Nappy said that the date is conditional on availability of an Atlas V rocket provided by the United Launch Alliance and an opening in NASA's visiting vehicle schedule. (laughs) So barring a schedule change to delay a cargo mission, launch date for Starliner's crew tests is around April 24. My guess is there'll probably be another change. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Boeing has been working on this for a while and are reportedly $1.1 billion in the hole for the program. Mm. Honestly, that's not that much given they've been working on it for 13 years. (laughs) It's worth noting that it's one of two vehicles that NASA helped develop to fly astronauts to the space station. Hmm. The other vehicles, SpaceX Crew Dragon spacecraft. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people believe that Elon had no help from the government or government funding. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> but that's a whole different rabbit hole for us to go down. So the vehicle's first uncrewed test flight narrowly avoided disaster in 2019 due to software issues. No. And Boeing agreed to fly a second test flight without astronauts. Uh-huh. That mission took place in May 2022, and Starliner successfully docked with the space station. Okay. Nice. That would set the stage for a crewed test flight this summer with Sunita Williams and Butch Wilmore on board. Oh, what a fantastic astronaut name. I'm sorry, Butch, Butch Wilmore. Wilmore. Like- <laughs> <laughs> However, in late May, just weeks before the mission was due to launch, Boeing and NASA discovered two serious problems. One with the vehicle's parachutes and the other flammable tape inside the spacecraft. Yep. In this day and age, seriously, like (laughs) inside the spacecraft, have we not figured out what's flammable and what's not? And like, yeah, but guess which one was cheaper? (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I have a feeling someone got fired on that one. Yeah. (laughs) The tape was being used as lining for all the wiring in the spacecraft. (laughs) Yeah, someone got fired (laughs) (laughs) to protect it from chafing in flight. And yeah, we all know electronic wires never get hot. They've already removed several pounds of tape so far, and there's still some more to go. Mm-hmm. And the other fairly significant issue, parachutes. The issue were soft link joints that the canopy of the parachutes were made of. They were found not to have a high enough safety factor. Mm. The parachutes manufacturer, Airborne, seems they were throwing them under the bus here, is fabricating a new version of the parachute joints using a stronger Kevlar material. So Boeing plans to conduct a test drop of this new parachute in mid to late November, which would leave time for analysis ahead of the launch next spring. And as far as a time testing reference, when SpaceX decided to change to a more rigorous parachute design, it had to repeat its entire test series. The process consisting of about two dozen test drops from various altitudes, which took the better part of a year. Mm -hmm. Stitch, a NASA official on the project, said the space agency was only requiring Boeing to complete a single additional test to verify the performance of its upgraded parachute. Hmm. SpaceX's modifications of its parachute were, quote, significant. And Boeing modifications, by contrast, are fairly simple, he Hmm. said with his fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) In addition to the hardware work, there needs to be an independent team at Boeing reviewing the company's action. And in addition, NASA's chief engineer has interviewed every one of Starliner's systems managers to ensure that no other potential surprises are looming. <laughs> finally, NASA's chief engineer, his deputy, and the NASA Engineering and Safety Center have been conducting their own independent review of Starliner's soundness. actually doing the work ahead of time. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? Butch is a patient guy. It's fine. He's real stoic. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to point out one thing before we close. The name Starliner, it's a bit deceiving. So I'm sure you all are picturing in your brain like a plane or even like the space shuttle. Nope. It looks exactly like those cones that we had on rockets in the 60s. A tiny little oh. cone. Only two people could fit in that yeah. thing. That's why there's only two people on it. Okay. Uh-huh. I believe the point is just a space ferry to the space station. But ferry didn't have the same gravitas as liner. Yeah, well, I hear liner, I think, like ocean liner. I'm picturing like a <laughs> right. you know cruise ship. So, yeah, all no, right. No, no, it'd be like the dinghy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a liner because in order to fit, you have to line up one by one. Too. There you one go. One by one, right. <laughs> tiny, tiny. In it. All right. Next link. Next, Next link. link. 
All right. This next one is from Science Alert, and it's called Man Encounters a Whale Seemingly Frozen in Place. Oh. So the original story behind this is a video from an Australian TikTok celebrity named Brody Moss, who is part. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of cool names. <laughs> 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 who is part of the YBS Youngbloods crew, which is, quote, a team that creates ocean media content on the coasts of Western Australia between Exmouth and Broome. And there's a lot that we can take issue in that. But the fact remains, he has caught on video something that is not unknown to science, but is indeed pretty rare and is very cool. So if you imagine the standard humpback whale breaching the ocean surface, right, the tail comes majestically out of the water and then crashes back down in a beautiful display of the power of nature. But in this case, the whale's tail just stays there. It's sticking up out of the water like a synchronized swimmer where the whale is just sort of treading water head down in order to keep its tail up and motionless above the surface. Yeah. And the video shows every part of this in great detail because despite their name, the young bloods are professionals. So they've got a drone showing the overhead angle as well as a separate underwater camera showing not only the whale in all its glory, but a baby humpback calf as well, <gasps> swimming in circles around the upside down mother and nuzzling against her chin. It's a fantastic video. I highly recommend it, though, admittedly, you may want to turn off the sound so you don't have to listen to an Australian bro saying, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say through like the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so then don't, man. Just don't. Yeah, just stop talking if you don't know what to say. <laughs> Nonetheless, like I said, this is not a new phenomenon. It has been documented several times in humpback whales, gray whales, bowhead whales, and right whales. The behavior is known as tail sailing, with recorded events ranging from a few seconds to as long as 12 minutes, and one anecdotal report of a whale holding this position for 10 hours. Wow. So there are a few theories, though no hard evidence, as to why the whales might be doing this. One researcher named Ed Lyman suggested that the behavior might have to do with resting, because whales are known to sleep vertically, albeit in the mm -hmm. head-up position. His theory at the time that he said this was that it might be a way for mother whales to rest while still keeping an eye on their babies, and possibly even a better angle to nurse them from. But that kind of doesn't really hold up anymore because it's also been observed in single whales with no calf nearby. Another theory is that tail sailing might be a way to regulate body temperature because a whale's mm. tail is highly vascularized, which means it could be used to rapidly release heat if it was stuck up into the wind above the surface, which, as someone who has to sleep with one foot stuck outside the covers, Same. I totally get. Yeah, yep. it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It could also be a combination of these two things, because whales often do this behavior in relatively shallow water, which is going to be warmer than the deeper ocean water. But the shallow water is also where they're more likely to hang out while they're raising young calves who aren't ready for the big scary ocean yet. So it's a little bit like they do it in the shallow water, but you're more likely to find a mother in the shallow water, which is why they kind of disproportionately seem to be the ones doing it. Could it just be fun? Yeah, it could be. I mean, honestly, like whales do I mean, a lot of things for fun. Yeah. It's a I flex. I did that as a kid. I, when I went to the pool, I put my hands on the floor and I stuck my feet above the water. Yeah. Yeah, it was just fun. It was cool. Bro, do you even tail sail? That's right. Yeah. Are you going to call it tail sailing now? You're not doing a handstand. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, if they can ram ships for fun, they can do headstands for fun. Like <laughs> Whales can, can do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next link. Next link. All right, let's stay in this region of the globe and visit an unaffiliated but similar sounding mossandfog.com hmm. because I would like you to meet the kakapo, which is an endangered flightless parrot 
that smells good and looks like a Muppet. <laughs> smells good is such a weird detail. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. And, and you know, subjective. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly true. I'm I'm <laughs> almost <laughs> yeah, it's very likely that there are some who sniff the bird and do not agree it is pleasant. Right. But for some people that smell durian are like mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. A delicacy. But please don't eat the cockapo because it is a flightless parrot, which is also called the owl parrot. It is large, has beautiful green feathers. It's got blue feet, and it supposedly smells nice as well. Of course, leave it to Australia and New Zealand for having the most fabulous, unusual, and rare species anywhere. Mm -hmm. But this is not only the heaviest parrot in the world at up to nine pounds, which Mm. frankly feels like a little kitty cat bird, but it's also one of only two nocturnal parrots found anywhere. And although the kakapo cannot fly, it's a super strong climber and uses its large feet to grab trunks and branches, and it has owl-style forward-facing eyes. All that is impressive, but get this, it is also one of the longest living birds in the world with a potential lifespan of a hundred years. These remarkable creatures show us the unique way animals evolved on New Zealand's remote islands, including flightlessness, diet, and longevity. But they're also known for their endearing and quirky personalities. They are friendly. They're curious. Sometimes they can even display a fondness for human companionship, which is definitely getting my hopes up. Uh They're also (laughs) known for their distinctly musty sweet odor. That's the descriptor they're using. And it's described as smelling like papaya or honey, which is freaking adorable. Maybe. I mean, the word musty, I'm like, "Eh, you're starting to get into justification (laughs) words there. Like, no, no, it's sweet and musty. I'm like, no, it smells bad is what it sounds like. (laughs) Well, it's a bird. It lives in the wild. And when they plod around on the ground, they have what's known as a low frequency mating boom. That can travel several (laughs) kilometers. It's like a little rave toy. But sadly, (laughs) the kakapo is critically endangered. The total known population of living individuals is only 248 as of this year. Wow. Now, there are numerous groups working on conservation for this special bird, including keeping them from introduced predators and loss of habitat. There is absolutely an embedded video. You've got to check it out. It's so adorable. And if I ever get a chance to sniff one, I will report back. (laughs) (laughs) Next link. Next Next link. link. This article comes to us from theguardian.com. And I'm sorry to betray my robot friends, but supermarket AI meal planner app suggests recipe that would create chlorine gas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Listen, machines <laughs> love chlorine gas. They That's just don't true. understand. It just was a different audience. It wasn't for exactly. you. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of a cautionary AI story, both for consumers and businesses trying to roll out features mm-hmm. with these. A New Zealand supermarket experimenting with using AI to generate meal plans has seen its app produce some unusual dishes, recommending customers recipes for, quote, poison bread sandwiches (laughs) and mosquito repellent roast potatoes. Oh, no. The app created by supermarket chain Pack and Save was advertised as a way for customers to creatively use up leftovers during the cost of living crisis. It asks users to enter in various ingredients in their homes and auto-generates a meal plan or recipe along with cheery commentary. 
It initially drew attention on social media for some unappealing recipes, including an Oreo vegetable stir fry. (laughs) (laughs) Don't know until you try. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, well, okay, let's talk about it. This article's pretty short. What else are you putting in there? You've got your Oreos. All right, I mean, okay. you have So so hear me out. Chocolate oranges are a thing, right? So chocolate and orange goes together. So if you put okay. like an orange sauce. Well, it has to be like a bland kind of thing, you know, right? Cuz it has to carry the Oreo reduction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just really got to kick up that Oreo and then you drizzle it with a little condensed chlorine gas and you're good to go. <laughs> So when customers began experimenting with entering a wider range of household shopping list items into the app, however, it began to make even less appealing recommendations. One recipe it dubbed aromatic water mix was the one that would create chlorine gas. I mean, they weren't lying. Yeah, it is aromatic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The bot recommends the recipe as the perfect non-alcoholic beverage to quench your thirst and refresh your senses. (laughs) Serve chilled and enjoy the refreshing fragrance, it says, but does not note that inhaling chlorine gas can cause lung damage or death. (laughs) (laughs) New Zealand political commentary Liam Heher posted the recipe to Twitter, prompting other New Zealanders to experiment and share their results to social media. Recommendations included a bleach fresh breath mocktail, bleach infused rice surprise, and methanol bliss, a kind of turpentine flavored French toast. I mean, we're laughing, but their attorneys are not. Oh, yeah. Yes. No. And then we get to the next part. A spokesperson for the supermarket said they were disappointed to see a small minority have tried to use the tool inappropriately and not for its intended purpose. In a statement, they said that the supermarket would keep fine-tuning our controls of the bot to ensure it was safe and useful, and noted the bot has terms and conditions stating that users should be over 18. In a warning notice appended to the meal planner, it warns that the recipes are not reviewed by a human being, and the company does not guarantee that any recipe will be a complete or balanced meal or suitable for consumption. So why go to the site? Yeah, and like, as somebody who's used these LLMs quite a bit, this didn't need to happen. Right. Yeah, they could have done a better worst job. Thing. Yeah, literally. Like, it, it's like they had no prompts, which were like, do not include chemicals not fit for human consumption in your recipes. Mm-hmm. And there, there's non-AI ways you can also protect the output, too, like OpenAI themselves does when measuring their content. But just wanted to share this so that we know a little bit more about what's out there and the kind of, like, uncensored, uncautious AI blathering that may be out there. Like, you know, Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it to another. Be like, hey, ChatGPT. This dumber robot gave me this meal plan. (laughs) Will this kill me? You know, do that kind of thing. (laughs) Next link. Next link. Okay, it'll take us a little bit in a different direction. From, oddly, Business Insider. Mm. Archaeologists are too scared to open the tomb of China's first emperor because they fear booby traps. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd be afraid of bacteria and dormant viruses and stuff, but honestly, booby traps too. I mean, how are those not booby traps? Right. I mean, I guess they somewhat are, but, you know, wait, wait for the end of the story. Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, archaeologists are too scared to open up the 2200 year old tomb of China's first emperor, Chen Shi Huang. You all may have seen pictures or videos of this tomb. It's the one where there are hundreds of terracotta statues of soldiers. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Meant to protect him in the afterlife, of course. While parts of the necropolis have been explored, the tomb itself has never been opened due to fears of what might be inside. 
An ancient Chinese historian wrote an account about a hundred years after the emperor's death describing possible booby traps inside the tomb. He said, quote, craftsmen were ordered to make crossbows and arrows primed to shoot at anyone who entered the tomb. But this is the more important part. Mercury was used to simulate the hundred rivers, the Yangtze, the Yellow River and the Great Sea and set to flow mechanically. Wow. <laughs> While some scientists wow. dismissed this as fantasy. A 2020 study showed that mercury concentrations around the tomb were at a significantly higher hmm. level than expected. Okay, fair enough. Yep. In the same study, they concluded that highly volatile mercury may have been escaping through the cracks, which developed in the structure over time, and their investigation supports ancient chronicle records that the tomb is believed never have been opened or looted. Hmm. So the tomb's owner, Chen Shi Huang, was the first to rule a unified China. And historical reports suggest he became obsessed with drinking mercury <gasps> in a misguided quest for eternal life. Kind of like the Queen Elizabeth's mercury makeup. Yeah, yeah. But he drank his, often lacing wine with mercury and may have died from mercury poisoning at the age of 49. Could but, be. You know, to be honest, 49 was pretty old for yeah. antiquity, I feel like. <laughs> so it's less about traditional booby traps that we're thinking of a la Goonies. Right. And more about the mercury poisoning. Sure. And they also fear that if they excavate the tomb, they could damage it, which yeah. is kind of your two choices in archaeology, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really no others. <laughs> next link. Next link. All right. Well, this next one is a video. It's really short, but it's worth talking about. It's from Tom Scott, who often does these sort of explainer historical travel mm -hmm. combination videos. It's called, This Town Throws Pennies at People. They hurt. <laughs> Spoiler alert, he does go and get pennies thrown at him, and it does hurt. He injures his cameraman. It's all very funny. Um, but <laughs> So this is in the town of Honiton, where they have a tradition called the Hot Penny Ceremony. And it has its origins in very sad, not funny practices, where basically... At various times where there were extremely poor people and extremely rich people, the rich people thought it was very funny to heat up their pennies literally <gasps> in the fire, like truly to burning oh. hot, and throw them at the peasants over the balcony and watch wow. the peasants burn their hands as they scrabbled to catch them. Wow. And the thing is, the peasants seemed okay with this because part of it was also there was like this rent amnesty that was happening at the same time. So it was sort of a nice thing, but they were like, ah, we're going to burn your hands if we give you this debt relief. So wow. that was the origins of it. And the thing is, people liked it enough that they've continued doing it. Now, they do not heat them up in the oven. They simply warm them in the sun for symbolic purposes, and they sort of gently toss them. Though they note in the video, you can see they have some children participating up on, like, the first floor below the roof, and they are actively, like, throwing fistfuls of penny <laughs> as hard as they can at people. And oh, it's yeah. only a penny. I mean, the thing is, like, even they gave the inflation conversion. Back then, it would have been worth basically a dollar each. But now it's still just a penny and they're still literal them. injury to insult. Yes. And there's people who have like buckets. There's a bunch of people who like turn umbrellas upside down to like protect themselves, but catch the pennies. It's a very weird thing. They have the whole thing is overseen by the town crier who he alone is worth watching the video because he's got this <laughs> giant handlebar mustache. And he's like, I remember a time when we were poor and we were all sent out to do this so that we would have money for school lunches or whatever. But, you know, the mayor also looks like she's about 20 and she's like, the people want it. So who am I to say we should get rid of this tradition? What? 
And yeah, my, and listen, like <laughs> I have so many issues with this. Instead of trying to enact any kind of wealth equality, they're just going to enshrine this as tradition. Well, and none of the people currently collecting the pennies need the pennies. Like this is a very middle class reenactment, really, of this horrible thing that used to happen. And people do get injured every year. They're like, yeah, a certain number of people get like cuts or whatever. And they it's all part of the fun. <laughs> like, It's bizarre. But people are bizarre. And, you know, you got to get a yeah. tradition I mean, out of something. The throwing tomato festival. Yeah. There's the running with the bulls festival. Yeah. People yeah. get injured in that all the time. Okay. So. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it happens every year. So if you want to go visit Honiton in the summer in the UK. Uh, you too. No, can I do not. <laughs> I'm going to stay away from that town. They have codified bullying. What in the actual <laughs> heck? I'd like to know what day it is so I'm not there on that day. Right. So I don't mm. get pelted by pennies. I'm, I'm pretty sure that the clatter would warn you. <laughs> Does that mean like in, in this new era, we can distribute NFTs to the very wealthy that actually have backdoor <laughs> viruses that suck out all of the money in their banks. Yeah, no, no. The trick is you have to throw the NFTs. Yeah, I was imagining you would like somehow encode an NFT onto a coin and then you just like chuck up. Right. Throw yeah. them. That's the violence is part yeah. of the fun here. If you're just doing damage, what's the joy? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Next link. Next, Next link. link. All right. From the CBC, a BC, that is British Columbia woman, is buried in Amazon packages she did not ask for and does not want. Hmm. Almost every day, Anka Nitu comes home from work to find an Amazon package containing women's shoes at her home in Langley, British Columbia. Now, they huh. were sent by people across North America who intended to return them to an Amazon seller. And each box has a return authorization slip with her address on it. Now, she says couriers have abandoned packages on her porch, denying her the opportunity to refuse them. And it's also resulted in $300 worth of collect on delivery or COD custom charges from wow. UPS. Now, the wow. BBB, the Better Business Bureau, says it sounds like a vendor return scheme. And this is where mm. sellers, usually from overseas countries, skirt shipping and warehouse fees by using a residence to ship their returned products. Third-party sellers who use Amazon fulfillment centers are required to pay for product returns. Quote, it's easier and cheaper for the sellers to have returned products sent to this random address than having it sent to China. It could be that the warehouse has asked the seller to remove their unsold products from fulfillment centers, or maybe their contract is ending. And the BBC also referenced the Amazon brushing scam. And this is where companies would purchase products, have them sent to random customers so they can write verified reviews. But what mm. Nitu, she says, what's happening to her is materially different because most of the shoes have this return slip that has her name and address. Can she sell those shoes? Make a business out of that? I guess, but that still is putting a lot of onus on her. I mean, she has made no progress in stopping these deliveries. She's tried to call Amazon and UPS customer service. She's even filed a police report and they told her to quote, open and dispose of the packages. I mean, the thing is, I get it from UPS and the police department's perspective. They're like, look, it's a package with your address on it. Our job mm -hmm. is to deliver it. But mm -hmm. Amazon, they can very easily figure out what seller is doing this. They have a database. They know who's using what return addresses for everything. 
they can pick the seller and say, guess what? You're kicked off Amazon. Yeah, but that sounds like it costs them money instead of makes them money. Or mm-hmm. the company just immediately just changes its name from seven yep. letters to right. six letters mm-hmm. of combo. And now they're a new business and it's still the same address. Yep. And yeah. still they just go to the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, of all the things to have arriving on your porch, shoes aren't the worst. <laughs> like, there could definitely be worse products to be getting constant RMAs for. So if there's any company out there that wants to RMA electronic gear to my house. That's... Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> all right. Well, that is all we have time for today. We're so glad you've joined us. Some of the articles we did not have time to get to today include The Life of a Lawyer in the Late Roman Republic. What's the largest planet in the universe? And scientists alarmed by what space station astronauts appear to be breathing. So all that and more, plus everything we talked about today, can be found on damninteresting.com. If you like our podcast and want to support us, you can do so at patreon.com slash damninterestingweek. In the meantime, my name is Jennifer Lee Noonan. I'm Angela Epley. I'm Whisper Chen. I'm Bradley Calhoun. And we hope you have a damn interesting week. Bye-bye. 